Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at bkcwest.com. All right, so we've been going through Genesis. We're calling it Origins because that's uh, looking at our origins, like where did things come from, uh, who started all of this. We've seen that God is the creator of all things, and he's working in the lives of people, even though people have decided to decide what, good, what is good and bad on their own. We see God time and time again chasing after them. And so uh, I, was, I was struck by something on Friday. So Michelle, my wife and I, we, we take Fridays off. That's our day off. And so we typically will go different places around Kansas City and go enjoy a new breakfast place or that sort of thing. So we really like Weston. We like to drive out to Weston, Missouri and drive out there and just talk and enjoy coffee and food. And so we drove out there uh, on Friday. And uh, I, I had seen it months earlier, but it struck me again um, there's this home, and if it's in your home, I'm not talking bad about it, um, but, or if somebody you know, but um, they have a sailboat uh, just in their, in their driveway, in their yard. And, and I get it, there's big lakes around and whatever, but for me, sailboat means ocean. You know, like, like you know, just out in the ocean with the, with the ocean wind and going, and, and I remembered it because this sailboat was there months and months ago, looked like the same spot, and um, there's, no, there's no sail, and there's no water. It's just in the middle of, of nowhere. And, and so it struck me, and, and it, it, they have no expectation of sailing, I don't think. Or maybe they do. I mean, maybe they go down to the Gulf and they do that several times a year. I don't know, but it, it just, it's just uh, the boat that was made for the open waters and the sailing and the sails, it, it's, it's just there, here in the middle of the land. And, 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 then, it, and then it got me thinking about... Um, uh, I used to take this route in Central California where I was born and raised, and then we lived for a while with our kids as well while we were planning a, a vineyard church. Um, w- there was this riverbed, and California has been in a drought for forever, just different areas. That, like they talk about drought here. I'm like, there seems to be a lot of green and water, and California is brown and not much water. But uh, this one route I would take through Central California out, out in the country, uh, there was this tractor uh, really nice tractor, but it was parked in the middle of the riverbed. And just real big riverbed. And uh, again, no expectation of water. You know, that tractor isn't what you would use that riverbed for, you know? I mean, it, it just doesn't have a purpose there. But the person just parked their, because there's a house up here, and they just parked their tractor in the middle of the riverbed. You know, it's just going to keep being a drought. There's not much expectation. And so I was thinking about this, and I think we approach this differently, but I think that, I think there's, and I don't know, I mean, I'm probably part of the problem, people like me, but it seems like when it comes to, like, God, I I think that we have a lot greater expectation of knowing about God than knowing him. Um, That when we come to places like this, and we gather with people, and open the Bible, and do things that there's a great expectation and, and we're satisfied with just like knowing about things about God. But then there's like this knowing him, like really knowing him. Um, and, and then there's another thing too. I was thinking, you know, people ask me all the time, uh, literally, uh, like they'll say, why is God different in the Old Testament than the New? 
Like you see Jesus and he's just so personal and he's just so loving and he's so consistent and he's just so accessible. And then there's a reading of the Old Testament and you say, well, why is God so different? Why is God, you know, doing things in judgment and all these, why is he that way? And the thing I've been struck with, just how, um, just how vulnerable God is in Genesis as we've been going through, that he creates, and, and if you look at the language and you read it and you look personal, he creates this thing and he calls it good. It's just so good. It's so good. And then there's just this like crashing down of everything. But then as, if you watch, you see God just come to people over and over and over. And he's so personally, so loving. And we see him now narrow down into one family. And it's the same God. Different writers, different places, different times. But if you look, and I'm actually a little bit, quite honestly, a little uncomfortable with the God that I'm seeing in the Old Testament. And what I mean by that is, is that he is so vulnerable. Like there's just a complete rejection over and over and over by people of God. And yet he just comes to them over and over again. And he does judge but he shows mercy by having people continue in those things. And so I just, um, I think our greatest need is for the presence of God. But more particular, our greatest need is that, is that we would have a heart that seeks and wants to know God. Not principles of him, which are good, that we can apply to our lives to make our lives better, but just that whatever else fails God, I want you. And I want your heart, right? We know that in our lives. Like we know that in our closest relationships. We know it in our marriages when we know that, you know, things are going wrong and our schedule's all over the place and those things. And, and maybe this job doesn't work or this doesn't work in the marriage. But the real problem is that we don't have each other's hearts anymore. You can do anything if you have each other's hearts or you have problems with your kids and, and maybe you've made your kids really good citizens and they do all the right things, but do they have your heart and do you have their heart? And so when it comes to God, you know, there's this scripture in the Old Testament in Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah writes, and it says, long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. So a love that was like all the way before and a love that's present and a love that will continue all throughout. And he says, with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. And so that's the heart of God. Things are completely messed up. But God promises that he's going to make it right. And so that's what we see all throughout Genesis. And so today we're going to see this promise that God made to Abraham. He said, you'll be a great nation. You'll be a blessing to all nations. You will have descendants that are greater than the sands of the sea and the stars and all these things. But, but 25 years have passed since that promise. And so finally, Abraham and Sarah would say, and we would look in and say, finally, God does what he said he would do. But again, we're not just focused on knowing about God, we're focused on knowing God. And if you want to know God, here's what I think is very important. The process is more important to God than the actual fulfillment of the promise. Like that moment of the fulfillment where we say, yes, it's here. God sees that as important, but he loves the process of the waiting and knowing 
in walking out that promise with somebody. And so Abraham and Sarah needed to be God to be one that would do miracles for them, and he finally does that. And so I ask you, as we walk through our chapters today, you know, what do you need God to do in your life? What is a promise that you've been waiting for? And I heard somebody say that prayer is asking God to be God in our lives. And so how have you heard God express himself or people talk about him and you're really the longing of your heart is, God, I want you to be like that for me. I, I know for me, for a long time, uh, I, wanted, I, wanted, like, I wanted an affectionate God. Like I wanted to experience, I knew God was loving, I knew the principles, but I, I wanted an affectionate, loving God that I, you know, I, I, I knew I loved him, but this closeness and, and um, I knew I was rescued, I knew all the principles, but then there was just this amazing closeness that came in and God spoke to me. And then he just started working that in my life and it was just, it was, it was that my heart actually needed to change. There was a lot more knowing about than knowing. And so how do you need God to be today? Because it's actually already happening. It's in process and he calls you to himself. So what we're gonna do is, we're, we're gonna start in chapter 18, we're gonna go to 22. We're going to zoom in, fly over, zoom in, fly over. These are amazing passages of scripture, but we're doing a summary of them. And I, I, want, you to, I want you to look at how personal God is and how he's working in this family. And he's not only working in them, but this is what God wants to point out in scripture for us, this person of Abraham that he wants to bring out. So we're starting in Genesis 18, verse one. So the Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do, you, do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, get three measures of your best flour, knead it into dough and, make, and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to a servant who quickly prepared it. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat and he served it to the men, as they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. So God is making things right in a relational manner, okay? So here we see Abraham and Sarah, they're a new couple. There's echoes of Eden here. You have Adam and Eve, they're gathered around a tree and they choose to not reference God relationally. They choose to actually do things differently and they hide. And so all throughout Genesis, you see the writer bring us back to Eden. And it typically will be referenced by a tree. It's actually something that you'll see all throughout the Bible, the focus on a tree or a bush or those things. And so twice here, you see God gathering with a new couple around a tree. Now, the first time Adam and Eve, right, what did they do? They ate but it was without God. 
And now you have God and his angels eating and Abraham and Sarah there being with him. So there's a sense of goodness that you see here. So Abraham and Sarah are reminded in a little bit, the verses after, that they're going to have a son. The promise is happening. And so it's going to happen within a year. It's, it's very close. Um, but as God says this, he says, he says, hey, Abraham, where's Sarah? Because she's in the tent. She made the food. She's in the tent. And, and he says, well, she's over there. And he says, well, I want her to know that I'm doing this thing. I'm doing this thing that I promised them. And so Sarah laughs to herself, like, like, can this old, like, wrinkly person, she's 90, can this old person experience pleasure and have a child and walk through this? I mean, are you really going to do that? Besides, and she basically says, my old man, my husband, he's 100. I mean, can this guy really produce a child? I mean, what are you talking about? And she laughs. And if you know the story, they, they end up naming the son that they have, Isaac, which means laughter. There's lots of laughing going on in discussions. There's even this awkward scene where she says to God, she says, he says, why did you laugh? Like, why do you doubt? Is anything too hard for God? And she says, I didn't laugh. And he goes, I think you did. <laughs> and so the, the language is, is, is kind of fun the way that it happens. But the next thing that we see is that they finish the meal and then God is with his angels and and look at the scene here because Abraham's invited to have a seat at the table with God. And it's just not an invite for him. It's an invite for, for anyone that follows after Jesus Christ. He, he invites you into his table. It says, then the men got up from their meal and looked out toward Sodom. As they left, Abraham, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Should I hide my plan from Abraham? The Lord asked. So this is an internal thought of God that's being shared here. For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to help the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. And so God's heart is to share his work and his life with people and for people to participate with him in those things, even the promises that he's given to us. We would just rather have just God just do it. Have you ever just said, well, why doesn't God just do it? Or why do I pray? I mean, God already knows, and he, it's because he wants us to co-create with him. And there seems to be something, and you're going to see it throughout our, our time today, is that God, for some reason, even though he knows everything, makes it so that he doesn't know some things so that he can discover and come to know along with people, right? Because if God's omnipotent, so he knows everything, like you've heard like verses that are comforting, like, well, God's known me before the creation of the world. The sense can kind of be like, God's just like, yeah, 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 I know you. But no, when we actually read scripture, it appears that God is on this, he makes himself somehow so that he learns, so that he discovers as he walks through us. That's why he loves the process. So that's God's heart. Is he, he, he invites Abraham into this process, but what does he invite him into? And this is heavy stuff. Like this is graduate, doctorate, way beyond our pay grade stuff, what he invites him into here. He says to him, he says, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 20. 
And the outcry here is usually it's used in scripture where somebody of power is abusing someone that is weak. Where someone that is strong is not showing justice to one that is weak. And so verse 20, again, he says, I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. And he says, if they're not, I want to know. But this is a bad scene. I want to know about it. So the Lord's two companions go down into Sodom. But then there's this scene between the Lord and this, this would be God. This would be pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. This would be a, a theophany where we see God in a bodily form before he's born as a man um, in the, what we see in the New Testament. And so Abram is invited into the table and he has, he has uh, like um, upward courage, right? Uh, if you're a leader and you really value other people, you want people uh, that are on your staff and your team that have upward courage. In other words, when you have a blind spot or when you're doing something, you want them to speak into that. You don't want to just make the decision yourself. And so God invites Abraham in. And so what Abraham does is he says, so you're going to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, Abraham knows that his, his nephew Lot and his family live in Sodom. And so he says, great Lord, don't be angry with me. But suppose there were 50 righteous people in Sodom. Would you still destroy Sodom? And God says, maybe not. I won't destroy Sodom for 50 people. Oh, great Lord. And and he goes through all these things and he goes to 45 and then he goes to 40 and then he goes to 30 and then he goes to 20 and then he finally gets to 10. And he says, don't be angry with me. But suppose there were 10 angry or 10 righteous people in Sodom. Would you spare it for those people. And God says, I will. I'll spare it if there's 10 righteous people in Sodom. And so do you see the picture of God? And this is what I'm talking about vulnerable. Is God is, would you, he's competent. He's God. But somehow he has this great desire to include us in the things that he's doing. In Abraham, you may look at, well, Abraham's like top, top. No, the guy's a knucklehead. We've been reading through it. He's just like you and I. And so it's not that he has it all together. It's just that he's responded to what God has done and he's invited in to discuss these things. So there's this discussion. God wants people that will have a discussion with him, that will walk with him, that will know him and, and talk through things. And so for us, you know, something to apply in life is talk to Jesus and, and ask him. A lot of times I think we spend time telling Jesus what we think. But ask questions like, hey, Lord, what do you think? Like if you're about to make a major decision in your life, Lord, what do you think about this company that I'm going to work for? Or what do you think about this person that I, that I want to date or I want to marry or I want to be with? You know, what, what do you think? Or God, I've got this situation. What do you think? And then you talk through it with them. So chapter 19 is the, God says he wants to destroy Sodom. And so the angels go down and check it out, what's going on. Chapter 19 is like, you know, you're flipping through Netflix or you're flipping through the channels on TV and all of a sudden you say, oh, what's this movie? And all of a sudden, it's, it's, it's what back in the day would be like the late night movies, but now they're on all the time. <laughs> and it's a movie that you start watching, and you're like, you know that you shouldn't be watching this. 
Like, you know that you shouldn't be watching this thing because it, uh, we were at a pizza place the other night, or not a pizza place, but a restaurant, and, and they had TVs on, and, and uh, our boys are, are older, but um, there was all these little kids in here, and they had this just gruesome movie on. And so I'm the responsible guy, and so, hey, I don't know if you know, but, you know, there's these little kids, and there's this movie. The guy goes, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, the channel must have changed, or the show must have changed, but chapter 19 is like that. It's kind of like, I know that I fit within this rating, but I don't know that anyone should really, like, what is this doing to my heart, to my soul? That's what chapter 19 of Genesis is like. The two angels visit Sodom, and Lot, the nephew of of Abraham, says, hey, come stay at my house. They're like, no, it's cool. We'll camp out in the square, the town square. We want to see what's happening. He's like, that's not a good idea. And so he, he has them at their house. They eat when they're done eating. It says that all the men of Sodom come knocking on Lot's door. And so uh, what they, they say to Lot, they say, and I mean, I'm going to use different language because there's some kids in here and stuff. But I mean, they basically, um, yeah, it's bad. Use your imagination. But not like you're watching that movie, okay? But just, you know, they, they, it's a bad scene. And, you know, typically the destruction of Sodom, people grab onto that and say, well, that's the reason Sodom was destroyed. That's a reason. But the main reason was, remember, the cry went up to God about the injustices that were done. And so these men want to violently uh, uh, take these angels. They see them as men, and, and, but then the angels intervene. And they say, look, it's as bad as we thought. And so they tell Lot, look, I need you to get all of your family, get them ready. God is going to destroy this place. And so the morning comes, Lot tells his future son-in-laws and they laugh at him. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not going to happen. What do you mean? And, and so they don't come. But Lot and his family are just kind of dilly-dallying along. They're not really, they're just kind of wandering. They're not making it. So the angels have to grab them by the hand, pull them outside of the city. And it says that that's God's mercy that he did that. Remember, Abraham was interceding. He was saying, hey, will you wait just for this? And so they, the angels get them outside of the city and, then, and they say, look, we want you to go up to the mountains. And Lot's heart, it's hard. He's righteous because Abraham's righteous because he's in right relationship with God. Abraham, I mean, Lot, it's hard to see because he says, no, 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 listen, can we just go to this little city by, nearby? We don't want to be too far from this area with all this great stuff happening. We really like the options here. And so they go to that place, and, but the angels say, look, don't look back. And Lot's wife looks back, and she's turned into a pillar of salt. And you can go to this area during this, time, during this day, and there's pillars of salt that are there. And so the idea wasn't like, man, that's a bummer. You know, that kind of thing. Don't look, don't look, don't look. Is it like that? No, it was that, her heart was drawn to the things of that place. She was rescued, but she, she longed for the ways of, of Sodom. She longed for that place. And Jesus actually brings this up when he talks about the kingdom of God and this world. He says, he says, remember Lot's wife. In other words, don't long for the ways of this world. Long for the ways of the kingdom and follow after in that way. And so Abraham's conversation of intercession for Lot and his family had a real impact. In verse 29, it says, but God had listened to Abraham's request and kept Lot safe, removing him from the disaster that engulfed the cities on the plain. 
You know, um, pray about things. When you see injustices, when you see bad things happening, when you see wars happening, when you see hard things happening, would you pray? Would you intercede for those things? Would you say to yourself, well, I don't know how I could help that situation. Because the idea today is, is like, you need to be like standing on the street corner with a sign about every single thing that's going on. And you actually get shamed into it, right? You get shamed. Like, well, I mean, I should be about this cause and about this cause. Most of us have one main cause or two main causes, things that we really go after. And that's part of our calling, what God has called us to. But we're also called to care. And so some of us get overwhelmed by the things that are going on. But we want to be responsible with that. So that's why we pray. That's why we intercede for things. Because when we intercede, when we pray, we can give it over to God and then we can function in our, in our lives. And so because Abraham interceded, God did this great thing and rescued them. I'd love to say that Lot and his daughters, things turned out good at this point. And like I said, again, late night movie. So Lot leaves the small town. He doesn't feel safe there. He and his daughters, they go up to the mountain town. And his daughters decide that there's no more men in the world because everything was destroyed. And so they, they say, well, if we want to procreate and have children, then um, we better procreate with our father. And so they get him drunk and, you know, night, two nights in a row, and they end up having children by their father. And their offspring, what they name them, they, uh, they, name, they name their two sons that they have, Moab and Benami. And so they became the Moabites and the Ammonites, which were great enemies at many times for the people of Israel. And so the Israelites that are reading this back in their time, they're looking to say, wow, you know, choices that people make today ripple for generations. I mean, you know, sometimes you say, well, I, I don't know. The things I do don't really have an impact upon other people, or I can kind of wander down this road a little bit. No big deal. Uh, you know, not a big thing. I can just play around with this. And the things that we do, the things that we invite into our families, the things that we invite into our thinking and our minds and our bodies, they ripple for generations. The, the things that I invite into my life that are unhealthy, the next generations will be burdened with that, that they need to be set free of that. My responsibility is just not for myself, but it's for those that will come after me. Are you encouraged yet? <laughs> Things are bad, right? It just shows the need for God. It shows that God continues to step in even though these things keep happening. But it doesn't get much better in chapter 20 and 21. The promise comes in 21, but um, I was driving last night and listen, if you have an answer to this, come to me after. Not now, but come to me after. But I was driving home from here last night, about 10.30 or so. And uh, I, I just wonder what goes through the mind of a possum. <laughs> it, that I'm going to run to the middle of the road, sit there, and then right before your wheels are coming at me, I'm going to run back in front of you. Or, or, or like they have a rhythm to it. Like that's what makes sense to them. Or squirrels. Squirrels, what they do is they'll cross from the, I mean, I've watched this pattern. They cross from the other side, sit there and wait and say, okay, they're almost here, go. <laughs> and so the possum's okay, don't worry. I hit the brakes and, and rescued him or her. And 
but there's this pattern that they have. I mean, I, I think what it is is that they just aren't, like their reactions thing aren't used to cars. And, like they're not really, but they run on the road. So I don't know. But that's how Abraham and Sarah are. And it's kind of a here we go again because Abraham and Sarah, they move to the south and Abraham's like, I'm getting out of here. There's lots of judgment in this area. There's lots of destruction. I'm going to the south. They go down towards Egypt. And so in that area, Abraham repeats something that he did before. I mean, Sarah must have been a beautiful woman. She's 90. And Abraham had this thing that when they went into a new land, she was so beautiful that he didn't want people to kill him to take her as their wife. So he said, look, say that you're my sister. So the first time that happened is they said, oh, it's your sister? Great. I'm going to take her as my wife. The king took her. So that's how it worked out. And God had to rescue them, those things. So he does it again. Just like the squirrel, the possum. Hey, anything worth doing once is worth doing again, right? Well, this king Abimelech takes her as his wife into his, uh, into his palace. And what happens is that very night that, that uh, or not that very night, but pretty soon after, God actually uh, intervenes. And he comes to Abimelech in a dream. And he says to him, he says, what are you doing? This woman is married to this man. And so Abimelech gets the picture and he's like, hey, I didn't do anything. He says, will you spare me? He says, he says yeah, I'll spare you. But if you, if you sleep with this woman, you will die. And so the interesting thing, again, remember Eden moments that are spread throughout here. Except the interesting thing is that Abraham is the tempter now, creating a scenario. And then Abimelech is like Eve and Adam, like don't eat of this fruit. Don't participate in this. And he says, if you do, you'll die. But Abimelech, he actually obeys God. And then you see this scene and don't look down upon Abraham and Sarah too much though. Because why do they do that? Well, what's going on in Abraham? He's a real person. When he gets around other men or powerful men, his wife is so beautiful, which isn't the problem. His anxiety is the problem. And the way that he deals with his anxiety is he, he, he hides, he deceives. He doesn't feel right. So it's an uncomfortable situation. So he deceives and he does that. And it's a pattern that he does over and over again. And he actually tells the king about that. He says, he says, he says whatever, uh, uh, this is what the king says to him. Whatever possessed you to do such a thing? Abraham replied, I thought this is a godless place. And so do you see how before we see how there was a godless place and it was destroyed? And then Abraham's thinking like, man, I've got the corner on God. God's only working through me. God says, no, other people, I'm working in other places with other people too. It says, they will want my wife and kill me to get her. And she really is my sister for we both have the same father, but different mothers. And I married her. Do you see how he's justifying his whole, his whole thing here? Um, and he's also sharing the details. Well, this all makes sense to Abraham. When God called me to leave my father's house and to travel from place to place, I told her, do me a favor, wherever we go, tell the people that I am your brother. And so Abimelech returned Sarah to Abraham with gifts, thousand pieces of silver. He's like, look, are we good? Because you're a little crazy. And he's like, yeah, no problem. 
and then you see Abraham, who's a total maniac, making bad choices, and then Abraham prays for all of the women in, in Abimelech's kingdom and his family, and, and uh, because God had shut their wombs be, during this time. He's, God's like, hey, you're trying to derail my ultimate plan here, so all of the women in the place uh, could not bear children during this time. And so Abraham says, be healed. And, and, then, and then they're all uh, able to have children and be able to conceive again. I mean, isn't that the conundrum that we see in scripture over and over again and in life, isn't it? It's just, it's not about uh, everyone's personal like righteousness or like they're good or better than everybody else. It's just God uses all of us. He uses the misfits of life. And so you see this with Abraham. And in verse 21, we see Isaac and Ishmael and the nations as well. So, but you see Abraham and Sarah, they make bad choices again. So Isaac's coming. Uh, in verse two, it says she became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. So God's fulfilling his promises. It's kind of anticlimactic. This is the big thing. Like I said, God's into the process. It's happened now, but problems begin right away. You see, Isaac is born and his name means laughter. And there's this whole scene, there's celebration, there's lots of fun, all things going on. But remember, Abraham and Isaac, they tried to help God out and, and have a child on their own, which is the child Ishmael, through Sarah's servant, Hagar. And so there's two sons, and it says that Sarah one day saw, some people think that he was making fun of Isaac. But the kind of term is, it's a play on word about laughter. Basically, like he was being funny. Isaac's the funny one. Isaac's the one that brings laughter. But Ishmael was bringing laughter. And so Sarah is uncomfortable. And she did this before. Remember, they, they, uh, as Hagar was pregnant, that she said to Abraham, send her out and in, you know, send her away. But God turned her back and sent her back. And so this time she says, you know, I want you to send my servant away. And Abraham says, no way, this is my son. But, but then God says to Abraham, I, I want you to do what your wife says. I, let her go. But God is more saying, hey, let's, let's take this route. I'm going to work in this. And he says, I'm going to bless Ishmael. I'm going to work in his life. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to bless Isaac. I'm going to bless Ishmael. All, all these things are going to turn out really well. Ishmael, all of the whole Arab people are from his line. So, I mean, just huge nation. But here's the problem again, is that when Abraham and Sarah feel the anxiety of their family, where there's the problem between the two brothers or between Hagar in them, when they feel the anxiety of that, what they do is they put distance between them in the issue, right? We do this in our families sometimes. You know, if we have problems or people, if we have anxiety or things, we have something to work through. Instead of working through the issue and seeing the feelings we're having, the anxiety and the fear, or the, the frustration as a symptom we deal with the issue, instead of doing that, we can put emotional distance between ourselves. Sometimes this happens for generations. And so they, they send Hagar and, and Ishmael away, and, and it says, again, 
that after he sent her away with some water and food and, and then she lays him down beneath a tree. And I mean, he's a teenager at this point, but he's so fatigued, he's about to die. Again, what do you, when it says a tree, what are you supposed to think of? Think of Eden, right? Going back to the tree again. But then, but then it says that she's a hundred yards away and she's weeping, she's crying to God. But then it says that God heard Ishmael's cries and he opens her eyes to see that there, right near them was a well. I mean, isn't that true? That when we get so frustrated, we get so down, we just get like, woe is me, God, my life, what is this? And then all of a sudden we cry out and the Lord says, hey, open your eyes. Open your eyes to the things that I've placed around you. Open your eyes to how I'm working in your life. And so she opens her eyes and sees the well, and, he, and then he, he blesses Ishmael and works in his life. Later on in the chapter, you see that King Abimelech come back. And believe it or not, he wants some of the mess of Abraham. Because he sees that Abraham is a total mess. He makes bad choices. He does all sorts of things. But there's a consistency and a blessing in his life. And this is part of the fulfillment of the promise of God, Genesis 12, that he will be a blessing to all nations. You see the nations come together. That's a, it's sim- symbolic. That's what the writer's having us know. So Abimelech comes to him and says, hey, listen, you, I see you're blessed in whatever you do. So I want a part of that. So they make a covenant and they decide things and, and, and everything looks good at this point. Life is good. But then the next chapter, you see a testing that God brings into the life of Abraham. And I want us to, I want us to dive into this and we'll finish with this today. Verse one It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Moriah is uh, where the mountain where they end up is the Temple Mount today uh, in, in Israel, in near Jerusalem. It says, so go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. God didn't accept uh, human sacrifice. Other gods or false gods really accepted human sacrifice. God said, that's not, we don't do that. So this is off, but it says God's testing Abraham. It says, the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son, Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. While he himself carried, by the way, wood here is the same term used for for tree as well. It really means wood. Uh, while he himself carried the fire and knife as the two of them walked on together. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood. The boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. So they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. 
Don't lay a hand on the boy. The angel said, do not hurt him in any way, for I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Um, the, we translate that provided, but it actually means like the Lord will see. Well, how do we get provided from that? It, it, translators are trying to help God out there, but in the original language out, but it's saying that on this mountain, God will see everything you need and it will be provided for you there. That's what it's saying. God sees, so he'll provide what you need. And so God tests Abraham. Why is he doing this? He's wanting to know him. He's wanting to discuss with him. He's wanting to talk this out with him. And you say, well, how can God do this? Like, who would ask that? I don't know fully, but I know that God wants Abraham to know him in the process. And he wants to know Abraham. Abraham doesn't intercede. Remember, it was like, well, are you going to wipe out all these people? So he intercedes for you. He doesn't like intercede for Isaac here. So something else is going on. But the test comes with echoes of Eden as well. Do not hurt him in any way, in verse 12. For I know now that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Go back to Adam and Eve. They didn't fear God. They were at the tree and they gave in and they decided to define things differently versus referencing God. And so there's this echo of Eden that's happening. And then, and then as God, he knows everything, but somehow he wants Isaac to journey with him. Abraham and Isaac to journey with him to get to know him. So God's testing Abraham, but he's testing you too, isn't he? He's testing me, isn't he, right? Like you're reading this like, whoa, what's going on? This is the God that I follow? This is, this is what's going on here? Well, God's doing more than testing. He's communicating his ultimate fulfillment of his promise. See, the word love is used the first time in Genesis. In all of the Bible, the word love is used here. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Did you pick it up in verse four? It says, on the third day of the journey, you'll, you'll look up. This is a theme throughout the Old Testament. You see it in Exodus, and, and then you see it, God descending at Sinai on the third day. You see it with Jonah, that Jonah was in the whale for three days. And, and so you see this buildup here that the third day, there's some significance to it. And then Isaac carries wood, where? Where does, where does uh, he put it? He puts the wood on his shoulders that Isaac would carry the instruments of his own sacrifice up the hill with his father. And then we see resurrection. He says to the other people, we will worship there and then we will come right back. So even though Abram is going up there saying, God wants me to sacrifice my son, somehow he thinks that even if he does this, that God's going to resurrect him. And he says, after the third day. And then verse eight, he says, God will provide a lamb for sacrifice. So God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering. And the, the wording here is interesting. It's, it's almost like God will provide himself a sacrifice. And it's almost like God will provide himself as a sacrifice 
possibly you could read that into it as well. And then God will see or provide on this mountain, Jehovah Jireh. So God spared Abraham's son. The apostle Paul in the New Testament writes this about God. It says, and this is coming to like the knowing of God, coming back to that, is that, are you satisfied knowing about him? Or do you really want to know him? Because God wants to know you. And move beyond the thing, well, yeah, he knows me. He's known me forever. No, somehow there's a learning that God takes place into the life of Abraham, and there's a learning that takes place in your life. And it's why we have free will and we walk through things, because as we make choices throughout life and walk through things, God is sitting there saying, I wonder what... I wonder what Kim will do. I wonder what Michelle will do. I wonder what John will do. And he's surprised and he looks through things and he's involved in things and he learns about you. Now for you Bible scholars, I'm not saying God doesn't know everything, right? Because he would cease to be God. But we can tend to depersonalize God with our theology because at its core, God is a person. And so Paul writes this about God in the New Testament. He says, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? And so we see the cross in Genesis 22. That Christ is the lamb that was offered. And this hill was the hill that Christ was crucified upon thousands of years later. This place is the place that God would provide a lamb for the sins of all people. Is God totally safe? No. Is he here to build up the best version of your life? No. But the life he has for you is way better, way better than anything you can create but it comes through knowing him and being known by him. And so that's what he does in our lives. And so will you say yes to that? You know, will you say yes to it? I mean, like what if, what if what's missing in our life is knowing him? Like what if it's not having what other people have or, or getting that you know, contract or that raise or that promotion or that job or that thing or the, this person or that place or this house. Like what, what, if, what if all of that was just gravy? What if the main thing was just knowing him? Like that's the thing that really satisfies us. I think that it is. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com.